Welcome to episode 112 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm joined here uh, this afternoon with Pastor John Payne, the Senior Minister of Christ Church Presbyterian. John, good to see you. Good to see you. And we have our good friend Dr. Gabriel Williams here with us. Uh, good, Gabe, good to see you. Good seeing you. My name is Michael Bauer. I'm the Assistant Pastor here at Christ Church, and we uh, have come back after a bit of a break, so it's mm-hmm. good to be back with you gentlemen. I'm glad we can take some time out of our schedules to, to record some more podcast episodes. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. And it's it's good to be back here after we uh, recorded for 45 minutes last time and the uh, recorder was turned off. So this is uh, good to get to come back and do this again. It's much better than yeah talking to a blank wall, I think, but basically what we were doing. The look on our faces when, uh, when we realized it wasn't recording that whole time. It was pretty gut-wrenching, to be honest. Well, I'm glad uh, our recorder is working this time, and uh, we pray that the Lord would sustain it through the whole conversation. (laughs) But we are going to take some time to talk about the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, Just a little over a month ago, uh, we got back from our General Assembly. Pastor John and I were there as the teaching elder representatives of Christ Church Presbyterian, and uh, we were joined by our two ruling elders, Mike Royal and Toby Hester, and uh, we met Uh, The General Assembly met in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, for a few days at the end of June and the beginning of July uh, to do the business of the church, of the Presbyterian Church in America. And uh, we want to talk a bit about some of the things that we did there at that assembly, but I think it it would help us, benefit us greatly to to talk first about what the General Assembly is and and why is it important and and how do the courts of the church work. Pastor John, could you uh, help clarify some of those things for us? Yes, when we uh, turn uh, in our uh, Bibles to the New Testament, we see the word presbyter there, and uh, this word means elder, uh, and uh, or it, it could mean uh, bishop. Um, uh, there are synonymous terms, but all of them uh, mean those who are uh, leading, ruling, shepherding within a local congregation. And uh, if you look at 1 Timothy 3, for instance, you see qualifications for elders. If you go to Titus 1, once again, you have qualifications for elders. If you uh, go to other parts of Scripture, there are commands and exhortations to obey your elders and to submit to your elders. Uh, and, and then, you know, uh, we see how elders are called uh, to live, uh, to shepherd the flock of God among them, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, and so we, we've got a lot of discussion about elders and church government within the New Testament. Now, your, your typical uh, evangelical Christian, uh, particularly in the broad evangelical world, the megachurch world, uh, not only are they not going to have been taught much about this, they're not going to really see it modeled uh, within a lot of churches that they have been in. And so there's a lot of ignorance about what the Bible teaches regarding church government. And uh, incidentally, it's one of the most important things uh, that we should understand and submit ourselves to as, as Christian believers. Uh, these aren't just marginal things. Uh, we're, we're talking about the, the the government of the Church of our Lord Jesus mm. Christ and how He cares for His flock. Uh, you know, mm. in 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 fifteen thirty eight, uh, Martin Bootser wrote what was basically the first Protestant pastoral theology, and in that he asked the question: How is it uh, if Christ is uh, resurrected and exalted and ascended, and He is at the right hand of God, and He's up there? 
and and we his church are down here how does he shepherd us mm-hmm. how does he care for us how does he exercise his threefold office of prophet priest and king well he does so through his ministry mm-hmm. in the church that's right and he does so through uh, called qualified ordained elders mm-hmm. uh, who are called again to shepherd to disciple to teach to care for to discipline uh, God's people and they themselves also are under uh, the authority of of the leadership of the church and so uh, it's just an important uh, role uh, that uh, elders play within the life of a local congregation and I think the reality of the matter is that much of the New Testament epistles themselves are written with the understanding that the churches are not just accidental features of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. They are central and that we relate to one another through the church. Uh, we are, as members of the church, meant to submit not just to one another, but to our elders. And the reality is that when you read the epistles, you see very clear connections and interactions between different congregations. And so examples would be if you look at Romans or Corinthians, a good chunk of the last parts of those letters are Paul taking collections to go back towards Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. emphasizing that the churches are not disconnected, they are bound together in an important way, and also that they ought to care for one another. So we don't relate merely as individual Christians. We also relate in terms of how churches interact, cooperate for the sake of the gospel. That's why we're here, ultimately. And in modern evangelicalism, you have really a consumer mentality, Mm -hmm. right? Um, This expressive individualism that you see in our day, uh, uh, it really does carry out, uh, it it carries on in the church. Mm -hmm. And so when people walk into a church, often their mentality is, what is this church going to do for me? It's like when they walk into a grocery store mm-hmm. and they're looking, say they move to a new town and they're visiting all the different grocery stores and they're finding out you know, what, what the meat section looks like and uh, how's the cereal selection and uh, what do we have uh, over in the uh, fruit uh, section. And so uh, they decide based on what the, that store could do for them. And so they walk yeah. into a church in the same way. What yeah. programs do they have? Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of music do they offer? Uh, what, 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 what kind of Sunday school classes do they have for every possible demographic and so on and so forth? And so this mentality is a very uh, individualistic one. They're not asking the big questions like, what's the doctrine of this church? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. How faithful is the minister being to preach the word of God? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there faithful elders uh, in this congregation that are shepherding and caring for the flock. Those questions don't even enter right. into the mm-hmm. minds of many, but these are central foundational questions for uh, God's people. And so when we talk about elders, and then when we began asking, what is the general assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America? Is that even a biblical thing? Well, yes, it is. Uh, essentially, what we see in the PCA are three different courts, if, if you will. And uh, within those courts are serving our, our elders who are serving the church. And the, the first one is the local session of elders. Uh, now, it's called a court because they're carrying out certain kinds of business and discipline and order within the life of the congregation. And uh, so on the, on the local level, you have men who have been called, trained, 
elected by the congregation and ordained to serve in that office. And so they are representatives uh, of the congregation making decisions. So um, uh, we don't have congregational meetings, you know, every three weeks to decide what kind of refreshments we're going to serve and what color the carpet should be uh, when we build a new building. Um, we we uh, have a, a church that's led by elders who represent the flock and whom the flock have chosen to represent and lead them. Well, that's the local level. And then you have uh, a presbytery, which is basically a, a, uh, a collection of PCA churches in a particular area or region. And they will do the business of the church uh, and caring for the church from a presbytery level, which means they would uh, be involved in ordaining teaching elders. Uh, so those um, presbyteries are made up of representatives from various churches within that region. Uh, so here in the Low Country, we have the Low Country Presbytery, which has 15 or so. Yeah, 15 or so mm -hmm. churches. A couple of those are, I think, Mission Church, church right. plants. Right. And so we gather together the, 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 the if I can back up, the session, the local session of elders meets once a month. Uh, the presbytery meets uh, three to four times a year, depending mm -hmm. on that presbytery. And then once a year, you have the general assembly of the PCA. And uh, that's equivalent to a kind of Acts 15, where um, leaders gather together in Jerusalem to discuss uh, the issue of circumcision and the, and the, the uh, place of works uh, in connection with faith and justification. And so uh, once a year, we gather together to do the work of the church. And, and there, uh, there's lots of business that goes on. We, um, uh, there are reports given about the various uh, agencies and committees of the Presbyterian Church mm -hmm. in America. For instance, like Mission to North America, uh, our, our domestic mission arm, uh, Mission to the World, our international mission arm, uh, Covenant College, Covenant Seminary. Uh, and uh, Reformed University Fellowship, and, and there are a couple others. And, and so there are reports given, and uh, also uh, there are, um, there's an overtures committee. This is probably one of the most important things we do at the, at the General Assembly is deal with overtures. Um, Michael, how would you explain the, 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 the overtures uh, that come up to the General Assembly? Why are those so important? Yeah, uh, an overture is essentially a communication from um, a, a presbytery to the General Assembly calling for a particular action, uh, calling for the, the General Assembly to take some sort of action in, in whatever the, uh, the overture is, is, is asking for. And so uh, typically those overtures come from a session, and this a session, uh, a burden is laid upon them to write uh, and, and ask the General Assembly to act in a certain way, and that session will then submit the overture to their presbytery. Okay. Uh, the presbytery will then vote uh, yes or no on that overture. Uh, they will decide whether or not the whole presbytery gets behind that specific action and wants to make this request to the General Assembly. And then from the presbytery, uh, the, if, if they accept the overture, um, it will then go to the General Assembly, to the stated clerk's office, and he will uh, recommend it to the Overtures Committee. Um, the Overtures Committee is a committee that meets during the week of the assembly. Uh, so so uh, we met in the Monday and Tuesday and a little bit on Wednesday of the, the week of the assembly in St. Louis. 
and we considered all 48 overtures of uh, that were submitted to the General Assembly uh, for, for us to consider. So I was on that committee with one of our ruling elders, Toby Hester. We were the representatives for Low Country Presbytery. So each of the uh, 88 presbyteries uh, is allowed two representatives, one teaching elder and one ruling elder. And so uh, Toby Hester and I went and we represented Low Country Presbytery on that overtures committee. And we spent um, days in, uh, in meetings talking about these specific requests from uh, different presbyteries and um, from uh, or around the the country and uh, it was long meetings and there were so many important things that we gathered there to discuss and to consider there are uh, debates in those committees yes. as well yes there are so so we would take the overtures one at a time and someone would present a positive case for accepting that overture and then we would debate whether or not we wanted to accept that overture um, whether we wanted to change it in any way we could uh, change the the wording of the overture in in any way we wanted to in that committee um, and then from there from that work that's done in the Overtures Committee is then presented as one of the committee reports to the General Assembly, which began uh, on Tuesday evening and concluded on Thursday night. Um, and so those overtures were all presented by the chairman of the Overtures Committee to the General Assembly, and then the Assembly would uh, consider those overtures as well. Uh, they would determine whether or not to accept the overture or to reject it. Um, and so it was a lot of work, a, a lot of discussion about some very important things. And I think we want to take some time to maybe talk about some of those overtures. But first, any any other comments on, on the overtures in general? Yeah, from the layperson's perspective, what we heard more or less from the Internet was that, one, you're trying to it just happens that this year you were trying to do two years of overtures in yes. one year. Yes, last year was uh, canceled because of COVID. COVID. Mm -hmm. So that presumably means that uh, the meetings were excessively long to go through each particular overture, I imagine. Yes. But the second was that the ones that kept popping up on the Internet were uh, Overture 23 and Overture 37. Those seemed to be the most, I guess, controversial ones or the ones that... Uh, at least people were trying to decide what is the direction or the temperature of the PCA were based on those two overtures. And so I know uh, just from you know being here that one of those overtures originated from this particular congregation. But John, could you give some additional information on the, the overtures themselves as they came up? Yes, thanks, Gabe. And in fact, it's because of these controversial overtures that the General Assembly was the most attended General mm -hmm. Assembly in the history of the PCA. Uh, in fact, 2,140 teaching and ruling elders wow. or commissioners uh, were at this year's General Assembly. The previous record was from 2019. It was 1,652. Wow. And so, of course, when we were all hearing about the large numbers of commissioners that were attending this year, everybody was wondering, were these commissioners more conservative in their posture uh, or were they more progressive? Mm -hmm. And so we were all wondering that. Well, after the voting started, what we realized uh, was that it was a, a hundreds of new commissioners who had never been to a general assembly before, mm -hmm. uh, as well as some who hadn't been in a long time, 
were more conservative minded and wanting to uh, vote in favor of uh, these overtures, which were, uh, as we'll see in just a minute, uh, advocating for a change in our Book of Church order uh, in order to require ministers uh, to, uh, uh, to, to live a certain way and to believe a certain way in, accord to our, in accordance to our confession. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, I do want to mention a couple of other interesting statistics. Um, in 2020, uh, more than $1 billion <coughs> was contributed to PCA churches. Hmm. Uh, so that's pretty extraordinary mm-hmm. uh, that uh, God has blessed uh, the PCA with a lot of resources, and of mm-hmm. course, we are accountable to Him for those resources. Right. Uh, also, uh, there was a small decline in membership overall in the PCA; just 300 people this is out of what 350 or 60,000 members mm-hmm. or something. Do I have that right, Michael? Is it something like that? I don't recall. Yeah, it's something like that, around 350, 360, maybe more. Um, uh, uh, thousand members in the, in the PCA. Uh, some good news, more than 2,000 adults and 4,500 children were baptized in 2020. Mm. Oh, so God. a lot of encouraging things there. Uh, there was a net gain of 13 individual congregations within the PCA. So even during a year mm. like COVID, we saw 13 churches um, become particularized and actual churches in the PCA. Mm. Uh, some of those joined from Independency, or uh, we had one church join from the EPC, and three join us from the RCA. So sometimes uh, churches from other denominations will join the PCA. Uh, sometimes churches will leave the PCA and join other yeah. denominations, depending on what's going on. And in fact, that's one thing that uh, we've been saying in the Gospel Reformation Network, is if a church or ministers want to embrace uh, uh, unbiblical ideologies or aspects of unbiblical unbiblical ideologies like uh, side B gay celibate Christianity or uh, the social justice movement being informed by critical race theory. If these are things that you're passionate about, that you want to embrace and you want to come into the church, well, what we've been saying is go to another denomination. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Go to a denomination that is already embracing those ideas. And, of course, we disagree with those other denominations. Mm-hmm. But the point is, don't stay in the PCA and try to change the PCA from our, what we consider, orthodox and confessional and reformed positions. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere else. Don't disrupt the peace of the church and the PCA, which is exactly what Revoice and some of these social justice warriors are doing mm-hmm. uh, within uh, the life. By the way, we believe in biblical justice. Um, mm-hmm. We don't embrace uh, the worldly notions of social justice, uh, and uh, and we embrace biblical uh, marriage and sexuality. We don't mm-hmm. embrace what Revoice is advocating for, um, though they claim to embrace a biblical sexuality. Uh, yeah. Many of us believe that that is indeed not the case, and that's what those two overtures, overtures twenty three mm-hmm. and thirty seven actually uh, uh, point to. Mm. And uh, Michael, if I can ask you, do you have Overture 23 there? Could you read that for us? I do, yes. So Overture 23, uh, as it was amended by the Overtures Committee, is calling for a change in our Book of Church order in Chapter 16, and it is to add a new paragraph. Uh, 
And the paragraph uh, reads, Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. Those who profess an identity, such as, but not limited to, gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, homosexual Christian, or like terms, that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires, such as, but not limited to, same-sex attraction, or by denying the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions, are not qualified for ordained office. Hmm. Yeah, so this overture, of course, is uh, to safeguard the PCA from what is uh, called revoice doctrine, or doctrine that has come out of the revoice movement, which um, it's it's more complicated than we can get into on this podcast. Hmm. Um, I, I would uh, point people to a, a conference that I just uh, spoke at with uh, Rick Phillips uh, down in Pensacola. Uh, the conference is called One Voice. And at that One Voice conference, we talk about revoice and we talk about side B gay Christianity and why it is unbiblical. Um, but the whole point of this uh, overture is to guard the PCA against adopting a revoice theology that, mm-hmm. that would allow for men to refer to themselves as gay Christians, albeit celibate Christians who claim to teach a Christian sexual ethic, but nevertheless who hold on to that identity mm-hmm. and refer to their gayness as that which uh, is... Um, of sin, in other words, a part of the fall, but not a sin. Yeah. So they would actually uh, say that there's a, a, a corresponding idea with uh, being born with a disability, mm-hmm. um, like uh, someone born with cerebral palsy, for instance. They'd say, mm-hmm. you know, that is of sin because uh, there's brokenness in the world, and there sometimes children are born with disabilities and those kinds of things, and that is a result of the fall. Mm-hmm. But it's not a sin to have cerebral palsy, right? right. So they, mm-hmm. they want to talk about homosexuality that way, yeah. that it's of sin, a part of the fall in human nature, but not a sin, and that's where we part ways big time Absolutely. because. It is not a moral issue to have cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. but it is absolutely a moral issue to uh, have same-sex desires and to claim oneself to be That's homosexual. Right. And, right. and it's this whole gay moniker thing, we, we just completely see it as unbiblical. We name our sins, but we are not named by them. That's right. uh, So that's important. And I think what kind of comes with that uh, idea is if you consider what the standard is of a minister. So we know that the qualifications of an elder is that you ought to be one above reproach. But secondly, you're meant to be an example to the flock. Mm -hmm. And what is often not discussed when it comes to these topics is that you do not want your minister to essentially be of the same spiritual maturity as the people you're trying to disciple. Yeah. Hopefully, what you expect is that the minister or the elders will be someone to look up to mm-hmm. as a standard. 
And this is not, you know, it's not the first time we have said this on this podcast before, but it's very rare for ministers, it's very rare for a congregation to rise above the spirituality of their congregation or to rise above the spirituality of their ministers. Often what we see is the opposite. When the minister is held in grip with some either deep sin, secret sin, whatever it may be, we know that sort of mentality filters down to the congregation. And so in one sense, this deals with a, a theological discussion about the reality of sinful desire. But in another sense, what this fundamentally deals with would be what is the standard by which we want ministers of the gospel to be ordained? That's where we're kind of exactly. stamping home here. Exactly, Gabe. Yes, and and there's been a lot of response to this overture and to overture 37 uh, coming from from people, uh, hopefully from from people who are not uh, officers in the church, who misunderstand what it is that we are actually calling for here and what it is that we are are asking the the uh, presbyteries to approve, and think that. We are, you know, I've heard it said that that the PCA now uh, has officially declared that it hates gay people, mm. uh, just uh, outright. Okay. Right. What, what we are saying in these overtures is exactly what Gabe said: that there is a higher standard for ministers and for elders than there is for church members. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about church members in these overtures. We're talking about those who would stand up in front of the church and declare God's word to His people. Those. Men must be, as you said, above reproach, as Paul tells us. And I actually, Gabe, while you were making those comments, I I pulled up a quote uh, from a a previous lecture on Charles Simeon, who was the great Cambridge preacher in Mm -hmm. in the uh, mid-18th century, uh, mid-1700s. He he said, um, actually, in a letter that was written to him when he was a young minister, he was exhorted to watch over his own soul. Mm-hmm. And in connection with what you were just saying, uh, the, the exhortation was this, quote, I should recommend you having a watching eye over yourself, for generally speaking, as is the minister, so are the people. Mm-hmm. If the minister is enlightened, lively, and vigorous, his word will come with power upon many and make them so. If he is formal, the infection will spread among his hearers. Mm-hmm. If he is lifeless, spiritual death will be visible through the greatest part of the congregation. Therefore, if you watch over your own soul, you may depend upon it. Your people will keep pace with you generally, or at least that is the way to the blessing. Amen. That's right. Amen. Now, now I'm speaking kind of as just you know, a lay person understanding these things. So... The overtures were presented to the General Assembly and a vote happened. And as we all uh, have heard at this point, they were overwhelmingly accepted as overtures. And yes. So now the question becomes, what happens after that point? What happens after the overture is, um, in a sense, approved? Uh, what goes on at the local church level at this point? So... It, it must be ratified. It'll go to all the presbyteries, which I think there are 88 presbyteries in the PCA. And it must be ratified in at least two-thirds of those presbyteries in order to go to the next General Assembly in Birmingham next, mm-hmm. next year uh, to be voted on. So this over, it's hard to, to change the constitution of the PCA, mm-hmm. which uh, is the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Larger and Shorter Catechisms, and the BCO. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so it's hard to change the Constitution. Now, by the way, the Bible is not a part of the Constitution, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you can't amend the Bible. You can't change the Bible. <laughs> uh, so once these overtures are voted on, like this past uh, assembly, then you'll have uh, the presbyteries vote on them this year. Mm-hmm. And then if they pass, next General Assembly, there'll be another vote. And if okay. that happens, then it will become a part of our Constitution, which is important. And, and Overture right. 37 is an important one as well. It and uh, this also has to deal with the qualifications of elders. And so, I, you know, as the winds of culture, secular culture, are, are blowing hard and impacting all levels of society, uh, our governments, our, um, our schools, uh, our, our workplaces, our corporations, all of this mm-hmm. stuff is, the sexual revolution is, is strong right now and other kinds of revolutions. And so it's important, I think, that we add language to our Book of Church order that sort of uh, puts extra nails in the tent, mm-hmm. as it were. And mm-hmm. I think That's Overture right. 37 uh, which also came out of our presbytery, at least an iteration of it. And um, Michael, would you mind reading that one for us? Yeah, episode? of course. Yeah, the, this is going to sound very similar to Overture 23. The difference is that uh, Overture 37 deals with candidates for ministry. Mm-hmm. And so it's those who are coming before a presbytery to be examined, to be, um, to, to, to be licensed and, and ordained. Uh, potentially by the presbytery, and so Overture Thirty Seven uh, would call for a a change in the Book of Church Order uh, in Chapter Twenty One. Let me and, just give a little background to yeah. you, Michael. When a man comes to be ordained in the PCA, he must have gone to seminary. Mm-hmm. He must have recommendations from elders. Uh, he must have been under the care of that presbytery for right. some time, and there are examinations that go on, written examinations, oral examinations, and some of those examinations are dealing with character. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this overture that Michael is about to read is dealing with that aspect of an, an, an exam mm-hmm. of a candidate on whether or not they are fit to be ministers. Mm-hmm. That's right, and it directs the uh, candidate's uh, committee to ask specific questions in that in that uh, interview. So this calls for a change in the Book of Church Order, chapter 21, uh, and the, the paragraph to be inserted is this. In the examination of the candidate's personal character, the presbytery shall give specific attention to potential notorious concerns, such as, but not limited to, relational sins, sexual immorality, including homosexuality, child sex abuse, fornication, and pornography, addictions, abusive behavior, racism, and financial mismanagement. Careful attention must be given to his practical struggle against sinful actions, as well as to persistent sinful desires. The candidate must give clear testimony of reliance upon his union with Christ and the benefits thereof by the Holy Spirit, depending on this work of grace to make progress over sin, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, Romans 8, 29, and to bear fruit, Psalm 1, 3, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. While imperfection will remain, he must not be known by reputation or self-profession according to his remaining sinfulness, but rather by the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. In order to maintain discretion and protect the honor of the pastoral office, presbyteries are encouraged to appoint a committee to conduct detailed examinations of these matters and to give prayerful support to candidates. Interestingly, one of the objections to these overtures uh, was that we are being perfectionists. 
That's mm. right. That yeah. we're, we actually are encouraging perfectionism. Yeah, we're, we're setting mm. too high a standard and requiring perfection of ministers. Now, mm. what's interesting is you'll hear nothing about perfectionism <laughs> in those. In fact, quite the opposite. Right. That, that we're, it's a, the Spirit's work is ongoing, right? That's right. Mm. Imperfections will remain. Imperfections will remain. <laughs> uh, and so it's just interesting some of the pushback that's come uh, to these these overtures. Um, there was worry that uh, there would be too much prying, too much probing, uh, a suspicious attitude emerging in our our presbyteries. And uh, you know, not to say that there wouldn't be those and aren't those now and have been those in the denomination that have been overly suspicious and uh, unkind and uncharitable mm. and, and and so forth. But really the problem has been that we have not been careful enough mm. in our examination of men. That's right. I, I think there's a lack of, of boldness, a lack of making people uncomfortable. Uh, and so we failed in, at times to ask these questions. And this overture very helpfully uh, reminds ministers that they must ask these questions of potential candidates. Now, Gabe, as a layperson, uh, as, a, as a member of Christ Church Presbyterian in the Presbyterian Church in America, are you encouraged hearing the, about these overtures being passed at this assembly? As a layperson, what is it that you want in your ministers and in candidates for ministry? Well, I'll, I'll answer that, and I'll first back up to say that it's actually surprising that there weren't very detailed uh I guess, expressions of going into candidates' paths already in the Book of Church Order. Yeah. So that, to me, was somewhat surprising, right. just hearing it for the first time. But, uh, yes, yeah, so for me, it's it's very encouraging to hear that in light of uh, a downgrade, not just within general culture. So there's mo- there are moral challenges within society as a whole. It's pretty clear that American society is less morally excellent than it has been in the past. It's also occurring within churches as a whole. And so if the church is going to follow the scripture, and I hear if you read First Peter, it says very clearly, keep your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, mm-hmm. meaning the outside world. For that to be the case, there must be bars and standards. And so an example of this would be from a different perspective. This will be akin to allowing the Lord's table to accept any and any person who decides to walk up to take it without giving the necessary commands, necessary exhortations and the warnings attached to it. The same thing is true for ministers. Yeah. I, I know ministers know this already, but it's very clear what James, the book of James says, that ministers will incur a strict judgment. It's better to have that judgment on the front side of it when you're coming into these tests than standing before the judgment seat yes. of Christ <laughs> and having this strict judgment given to you. So it's not only loving to the congregations that these men will one day pastor. Yes. It's lo- loving to them and to their families as well. Right. Exactly. Uh, so it's loving all yeah. around. Yeah, and so the reality is, for on my side, it's for me a general expectation that, again, the standard of a minister would be higher in the congregation. And on my end, it's encouraging to know that I have two young girls 
and young girls who are raised in a church, they actually have people to look up to. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we have to basically go home and re-explain that we don't do what pastor does. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. That's confusing fundamentally. Yeah. Yes. And yep. so to actually have a standard that says that this is what we expect from ministers of the gospel. Again, not perfect, but excellent. It should not. Christians should not be afraid to say that pretty confidently. We don't expect perfection, but we expect excellence, and That's we right. expect that in any profession that has any real, uh, you can say, honor attached to it. We don't expect perfect doctors, but we expect excellent doctors. Mm-hmm. We don't expect perfect lawyers, but we expect excellent lawyers. Likewise, we don't expect perfect ministers, but they must be excellent. What's interesting in the qualifications for an elder in First Timothy three. Uh, I believe it's out of 15 qualifications that are mentioned, 13 of them are character. That's right. And so what, what we often ask about ministers is, are they gifted? Are they competent? Are they going to be able to grow the church? Are they funny? Are they you know, going to be able to grow the ministries? The first question isn't, are they godly? Mm-hmm. Are they walking with Jesus? Right. And that's got to be the most important thing. There are just a couple of... Uh, things that I think are important to mention as well that happened at the General Assembly. The first one um, is dealing in the, the review of Presbytery Records yes. Committee. And there was mm-hmm. a very important vote in connection with that. And uh, the review of Presbytery Records Committee actually reviews the Presbytery records of all the presbyteries to make sure that they are doing things according to the Book of Church order. That's right. Uh, and so uh, if if, you know... Well, let's, let me say this. There was a, a case that came up where two presbyteries were denying men uh, the freedom to teach their exceptions to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, uh, there were some concerns about that. You can't bind someone's conscience mm-hmm. and uh, to, to teach what they believe the Bible is teaching, even if it's against the standards, they've taken exceptions to it. Um, but what happened was uh, the vote uh, this year at the assembly was that a presbytery may indeed restrict a man from teaching and preaching a view that is inconsistent with our confessions. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were encouraged about that absolutely. because you have a lot of doctrine being taught in the PCA that is absolutely not according to our confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was a, a really strong uh, vote, I think. I don't know if you want to say anything about that, Michael. No, it, uh, it was a very strong vote, and it was an early vote. And I think in, to a lot of us sitting there uh, in that room, it was an early indication of the way that some of these weightier um, or at least more uh, more, more uh, controversial. Uh, controversial issues were going to go. Mm-hmm. And so it was very encouraging for a lot of reasons. But it, it, it does give more power to the presbyteries um, where where it belongs. Uh, we are a Presbyterian church, after all. And so <laughs> the presbytery needs to have the power to say, you may not teach contrary to the, the confession. Uh, another uh, important uh, overture was Overture 14, yes. which came out of Briarwood's session uh, mm-hmm. from Birmingham. Harry Reeder pastors that church, and uh, that uh, overture was sent up to deal with an issue that had been taking place within Mission to the World, our foreign mission arm mm-hmm. in the PCA, uh, dealing with inline authority. In other words, there were unordained uh, men and women 
leading teams of missionaries overseas. That's right. Mm. And uh, while there were a lot of complexities brought up uh, regarding what those teams were doing and so on and so forth, the general consensus was we are Presbyterians. And mm. so elders should be leading these teams just as they would be leading within a local church, That's for right. instance. Uh, so that was a very important vote, and uh, it right. wasn't uh, the vote was not as um, uh, as as large of a margin as others. It was 50, 54 to forty six percent, but uh, an important one nevertheless. Right. And uh, so we hope that uh, these things will be put in place um, uh, sooner rather than later by mm-hmm. Mission to the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they would do as the General Assembly has uh, exhorted them to do through this vote. Uh, that is to have only ruling or teaching elders uh, in positions of authority and inline authority in uh, mission to the world. That's right. And there, uh, the, these issues, as we've said, these overtures are going to now go to the presbyteries, uh, and and two thirds of the presbyteries need to pass them. Um, but one of the things that uh, is very encouraging to me is is knowing uh, what you recently shared with me, John, uh, that the Gospel Reformation Network is is holding. A meeting in September on September 25th at Greenville uh, in Greenville at the Second Presbyterian Church there, um, and part of what what is going to be on the agenda there is a discussion an in depth discussion of each of these overtures and uh, common objections to them and reasons why they should pass. Right. Yes, it's going to be a, an important meeting, um, mostly because we're going to get together and pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. And sing for, and for a denomination yeah. that we love. Yes, uh, we're going to sing. We're going to uh, spend some time in the Word and in fellowship with one another. That's that's the the, the most important thing mm-hmm. we'll be doing there. Yes, um, but we're also going to be uh, hearing from members of the uh, Gospel Reformation Network uh, on these particular overtures, uh, why they uh, should be. Uh, past, uh, we are hoping, and uh, what kinds of objections might be raised uh, in response to them, and uh, what we might think about those uh, objections. Uh, So it's going to be an important meeting. It'll be on, again, September 25th in Greenville, South Carolina, at the Second Presbyterian Church there in the West End. We'll we'll have lunch together there right on the campus of the church and enjoy some fellowship and and encourage one another, build one another up in love, and uh, and pray for our denomination. You know, it's... Mm -hmm. It's important, um, as I shared recently at the end of an article uh, that I wrote for the for the GRN mm. uh, in response to the General Assembly. Uh, it's, it's it's important that we pray for our church. Uh, you know, a lot of folks are real busy on Twitter and Facebook and uh, arguing with each other and uh, lashing out and um, a lot of bickering. How about we do less of that and, and more praying? Amen. Let's pray for Amen. the PCA. I, I've Amen. enjoyed our prayer meetings on Sunday mornings yes. at our church where we've prayed for the PCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an encouragement, and we need to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, secondly, I just want to encourage all of our, um, all those who attended this last GA, General Assembly, to, to go to this one That's and, right. coming up in Birmingham. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, make plans to attend and, uh, and bring someone else who, who wasn't there this year. And uh, let's have a good showing at this, this next General Assembly. Also, if you're an elder and you're listening to this, you know, attend your presbytery meetings mm. and, uh, and, and vote as these things come up. That's right. And then, um, and finally, uh, I want to encourage uh, all of us, whether we're in the pew or, or in the pulpit, uh, that we would uh, love those with opposing viewpoints. Mm. Uh, we are a, a family in the PCA. We love one another. Uh, let's 
uh, treat one another with love and dignity and respect. Let's not unfairly characterize one another's positions. Um, let's go into all of this with all the theological engagement. May it all be marked by humility uh, and love. And uh, let's not let's not be those who at least look like we're just looking for a fight all the time. That's right. Um, let's let's engage, but let's do so respectfully and and with humility. We don't always do that. When we don't, we need to apologize. Uh, but let's go forward with that kind of humility and love, and, and pray for reformation and mm. revival within the PCA, a denomination yeah. that we love, and we'd love to see continue on in an orthodox uh, way. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this uh, General Assembly recap. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to Between the Times, and we uh, hope to see you again very soon next time. 